Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things today because the fact that I have kind of a grab back of notes. I like to go over some of the things that have gone on in the Living Network. You can join the Living Network at thelivingnetwork.org, I believe. I believe it's .org. You can also go to hisholychurch.org. And I uh, find it underneath the guy with the little net that he's throwing out. And the Living Network is a is people all over the country and, and other countries as well, Australia and Canada, that have joined into email groups that are based on geographical locations because we think it's really important that people start actually coming together and interacting. The Kingdom of God is about relationships with God and with each other because we're supposed to love God and love each other. And you can't love each other without interaction with each other. Love is an action word. It has to do with what you do. And despite what people say, oh, we're not saved by works, Christ was very clear, very clear. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who doeth the will of the Father. You will not be saved by works in the sense that you will be owed salvation. It is still by grace. But if you think that you don't have to do anything to be saved, you have the wrong mindset. The mindset of Christ is that you are a doer of the word. You seek to do the word. You will not do it perfectly, but you must be seeking to do the word of Christ. And what is that word of Christ? What is the way of Christ? And that is the challenge, to find out what that is. How do we know what that is? Well, we have the Bible. Well, new studies by Barna Group on behalf of the American Bible Society shows an increasing disbelief that Scripture is actually true. That's what they're discovering. That people aren't believing the scripture. That it's not true. And there's a lot of reasons for this. One is they're not raised up in the ways of the scripture. And a lot of the people that are using the scripture are hypocrites. And then there is a huge difference of opinion as to what the scriptures actually say. People say that the Bible just interprets itself. Well, it's not doing a very good job because everybody's got a different idea about what it means. No, the, what interprets the Bible is what has written the Bible, which is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Not by flesh and blood. And the Bible is something of flesh and blood. It is a book. It has words in it. These are all things that we make up in our flesh and blood and in our mind. Now, those who were inspired to write it put these things down. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit and you must be inspired by the Holy Spirit in order to read the Bible and understand what they were saying. Otherwise, you will come up with 40,000 different denominations 
and religions and millions of different ideas about what the Bible actually says, which is exactly where you're at. Because many, if not most of the people reading the Bible are not led by the Holy Spirit. They're led by other spirits. Now, they may have an introduction to the Holy Spirit somewhere in their heart because of repentance. But there are huge chinks in their armor. They have not put on the full armor of God because they have not received the full truth of the gospel of the kingdom. Many churches have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof and are denied the true understanding of the wholeness of the gospel. In 2011, more than half, that's about 53% of the adults, said the Bible contains every thing a person needs to live a meaningful life. In 2013, the percentage dipped below half of the population. Only about 47% of the people actually believe that the Bible contained everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. So, it's losing ground, according to that Barna Group survey. 61% of the American adults who want to read the Bible represents a majority of Americans. It's a step down from the 67% uh, of the adults who said that back in 2011. But wanting to read the Bible is not the same thing as reading it. And reading it is not the same thing as understanding it. Additionally, the percentages of adults who believe the Bible contains everything a person needs to live a meaningful life has declined substantially from the 75% to 66% in the last two years. In two years, that percentage has dropped. The biggest jump of any group are those American adults who are antagonistic to the Bible. Meaning they believe the Bible to just be a book of stories, teachings, written by men. They rarely or never read the Bible, according to this survey. That group stood at 1 in 10 adults, 10% in 2011. In 2013 the rank has grown to 17% of all U.S. adults don't believe in the Bible at all. Don't claim to believe in the Bible at all as any kind of just a book with a bunch of stories. And the truth is, the Bible is just a book with a bunch of stories and has no real value of imparting truth to you if you will not receive the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you could use the Bible to perpetrate all kinds of evil in the world. And if you look back in history, they have done that. They have used the Bible, taking bits and pieces and out of context and twisting it to whatever they want it to mean to do great evil. So the, the Bible is an instrument of evil? No, you're the only one who can do evil. The Bible doesn't do anything. It's an inanimate object with words printed on pages. The only way the Bible kills anybody is if a large stack of them falls on them from a high location. And then it still requires that somebody pushes them off. 
People are evil. People are good. The Bible is not good or evil. It is an object. You cannot understand it without the Holy Spirit that wrote it. It is speaking to those who will receive the truth. Those who will not receive the truth will use the Bible any way they want. The survey goes on to say, The decrease of Bible-neutral and Bible-friendly people and the increase of Bible antagonists suggests that more people are picking a side. It echoes the rise of religiously unaffiliated Americans. These changes are perhaps less about the decline in belief and more about there being less cultural baggage to identify as skeptical or disbelieving. What it really marks in society is a religion of anti-religion. Antagonism to religion. And I understand that. Because so many people that are involved in religion are hypocrites. They are not like Christ. So many people who call themselves Christians have absolutely little to nothing in common with Christ. Another study released earlier this year by the same Barna revealed an astounding 91 out of 96 U.S. cities, a whopping 95% are not Bible-minded. And I don't know exactly how they put that survey together. But the, the interesting thing is that, that you see a progress in a particular direction between the surveys, earlier surveys and present surveys, that the Bible is dropping in its uh, position of reverence in the minds of people, even though there's a lot of people who hold the Bible in great reverence, but haven't got a clue about what it really says. It defined Bible-minded people as individuals who typically read the Bible each week and who strongly assert Scripture is accurate in uh, principles it teaches. The survey also found 9 out of 10, 88% of Americans actually own a Bible. 9 out of 10 actually own a Bible. That's quite a few because you got to figure that there's some Buddhists out there who might not own a Bible and some Muslims who might not own a Bible. And uh, uh, I don't know if they figure a Jew who owns the Torah, that, that would still be considered owns the Bible because it's the Torah by itself is not really the Bible, although it is a Bible to Jews. But anyway, despite such a high number that declined slightly since 1993. In other words, that number is still going down. The, though they say it was only slightly. In 19... Let's see. It, when 92% of the Americans owned Bibles back in 1993, which is, you know, higher than 88%. But still, 88% is pretty high because we know there's been a huge influx of, of Muslims and uh, other people that would have no particular reason to own a Bible. Eight out of ten, about 80% of the Americans identifying the Bible as a sacred literature without any prompting from the interviewer. They, they consider it a sacred literature. Now, that doesn't mean they believe in the Bible. I mean, Muslims 
have their Koran, but they believe that Jesus was a prophet, and therefore they would believe that the Bible is a sacred script. Even Buddhists might believe the Bible is a sacred script. But there is a, an increasing number of people that don't even consider books sacred. The, and and the, the problem is, is, I don't know if it's the problem, but a problem is that we, there is this idea of making a book sacred. You know, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He didn't say, Seek ye first a really good copy of the Bible and read. Now, Jesus almost never talks about scriptures, although we see him very clearly quoting the Old Testament. So he must have read scripture as a part of what he came to teach us. But the scripture itself is not what is holy. Only men can be holy or unholy. Only God is really holy. But it is men who make the choices. The book, again, is an inanimate object. It isn't really sacred, although we can refer to it as sacred literature because of the fact that it was written down by men who were inspired. So therefore that would make it unique and sacred in that sense. You know, the Hardy Boy mysteries are not sacred literature. They, some of the authors may have been slightly inspired by the Holy Spirit when they wrote those stories to try to manifest certain principles of honesty and righteousness. But it would not be considered sacred literature. But, you know, even if you read, and you'd almost have to go back to some of the early Sanskrit writings and some of the other sacred, uh, you know, we've, we pointed out in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, that the Arthavedas were probably written by Abraham himself. And the evidence is, is pretty, I, I can't say it's conclusive, but it's pretty overwhelming how much evidence there is that Abraham was the father of more than just Christianity and Judaism and the Muslim faith and father of it in the sense that they go back to Abraham. All of them go back to Abraham and as the man of faith. And the New Testament is all about faith. And they talk about Abraham being the man of faith. So, and we talk about religions as a faith. We almost use the term synonymously, faith and religion. But Abraham was the founder of not only those religions, but evidently was heavily influencing the existence of what we call the Hindu faiths today. And I would say faiths because there's a lot of different sects of Hinduism. But if he was, Brahman and Abram were the same. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they were. Yet, when we look at Hinduism and Buddhism, Buddhism is really, Buddha was a Brahmin priest, and so therefore he was actually a social reformer. So, even Buddhism goes back to that ancient Brahma, Abram. So, all these religions are going back to the same individual, yet they all look so distinctively different. 
And you can't just say, well, we'll just mix these all into a pot and we'll come up with whatever we come up with. Righteousness is righteousness. God is God. We can't change that by our philosophies. I've always pointed out that I am absolutely amazed when I read doctrines of modern churches and see how much of the doctrines of those churches are the opinions and private interpretations of the men who wrote those doctrines. And that is why we have 40,000 denominations. The doctrines of the church are what Christ taught. Not our opinion of what Christ taught, but what Christ taught. Christ's opinion is the doctrines of the church. Our opinions are what we say about his doctrines. And if our doctrine in our church is based on what somebody says about the doctrines of Jesus Christ, then that church is not his church, but the church of the man who wrote those doctrines. Or men who wrote those doctrines. Simple concept. Very important, though. That's why when people kept pressing me to write the doctrines of his church, which is it, to me is absolutely absurd. How, how can I write his doctrines? So you know what I did? I wrote down everything he said. His doctrines are his doctrines. That's the only thing that is in the doctrines of his holy church, is what Christ wrote. No other doctrines. Because... It's his church. It's not our church. It's not my church. It's not the Episcopal church. It's not the Catholic church. It's not the, the I don't know, you name them, Baptist church. It's not those churches. It's his church. It's what he said. Now, the question is, what did he say? Now, I'll talk to you about what I think he said. And you can talk to me about what you think he said. But can we come together based on what he said? And work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Someone this week, and I'll make references throughout the shows today. And hopefully I will record five hours of shows today. Here and, 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 and then we'll make them available where we're, we're, we're hoping to syndicate the show around to other locations eventually. And we're keeping recordings and so, uh, this station has an exclusive right. But eventually these shows will be made available on other stations. And the more people we bring, you know, this show is live here. The more people we bring into the network, the more people will come to listen to our live broadcasts. <laughs> and hopefully... If we can get everybody in the technical department working on it, we're going to go back to having some live phone conferences because I think that that's really where we need to go. In the meantime, we're also doing shows about different epistles and books of the Bible where we're actually going through verse by verse and showing you what we're beginning to understand. And we would love to have the call-ins where you can call in and give us some input and feedback as to what you think they are. And then we'll tell you where you're wrong. <laughs> and you can tell us where we're wrong. 
And that's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's facing and taking a look, an honest look, at the Bible. The Bible was a book that showed us a way, a way to live our lives, a way to have relationships with each other, a way in which to react and act with each other as a society. And even though people are trying to measure how people read the Bible and get a feeling for the amount of religiosity in that individual or that society, the reality is you can read the Bible till you're blue in the face and you will not get anywhere closer to God whatsoever if you do not actually seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because a lot of people pick up the Bible and read the Bible because they are actually seeking unrighteousness. They are seeking personal justification. They are they are seeking to find excuses why they can do this, that, or the other. They're they're looking to lord it over other people, to rule over other people. That's Cain. Cain wanted to rule over his brother. That's one thing you learn with sheep. Somebody asked me. In Texas, uh, actually, I get this all the time, people, when they find out that I actually am a shepherd and that we actually deal with sheep on a day-to-day basis. They say, well, well, you must have learned things from sheep, and people are always wanting some sheep story. Well, yes, you can learn things from those sheep, and they can teach you certain principles, and that's, of course, why the... There's a great deal of analogies uh, made in the Bible about shepherds and good shepherds. And, uh, yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no man. You know, that's all about shepherding. The valley of the shadow of death is actually a valley that that was very treacherous that moved between one set of pastures and another set of pastures. And uh, my rod and my staff, they comfort me. That's Those are tools of the sheep. Uh, business. You're rotting your staff. And, you know, when they talk about uh, spare the rod and spoil the child, what's the rod? You do not beat sheep into submission. You do not whip them and make them do what you want. Uh, you have to develop trust and then you just hold out your rod and say, oh, don't go near there. And they know that that rod means to go a little bit away from there. That's a cliff. That's a dangerous area. There, there are coyotes down that path, and the, you need to go this way. And the sheep will turn. You know, I can I can be out in the field, quarter of a mile away from the sheep sometimes, and I will put out my arm in a direction, and they will turn and go in that direction. Not always, <laughs> but you know, the, it's the same way in life. I will tell the congregations that are in the network and the people in the network, you ought to do this. You ought to go over here. I'll point. Am I, am I exercising authority because I appoint? No, I'm not coming over there with a stick and beating anybody. That's the way you guys been doing things. You want to have a school? You say, well, let's make a tax and we'll support this school. And we'll all have free education because the government will pay for it with the tax money that they take from all your neighbors. And if they don't pay the tax, a guy with a stick shows up. A guy with a rod. 
<laughs> shows up and says, you didn't pay your tax. We're going to take your whole house away from you, kick you out, and we'll sell your house. And we'll use the money that we get from selling your house to pay for that free education from your neighbor who has been coveting your goods. He wanted free education at your expense. That's why you don't send your kids to public school. That that reason alone, if you are a Christian, because the Old and New Testament, and even the epistles of Paul, say, Thou shalt not covet. And if you want benefits at the expense of your neighbor, then you're coveting. That's simple. That's in the Bible. Beginning to end. You can find that in the Quran. You can find, I don't care what religion, you're not supposed to be coveting your neighbor's goods. Yet today there's a cognitive disconnect where that is okay. So you go read your Bible, but it won't tell you a thing if you are not willing to hear the truth. And we're going to give you some more truth when you come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about holy scriptures. We're talking about what it means to read a holy scripture and how do you understand it and how do you, how do you interpret it? How do you know what it really means? Because there's so many opinions out there as to what the holy scripture is, is supposed to be saying. There, there are so many people that read this, and, and they read Paul. Paul is very hard to understand. Even Peter tells you that Paul writes to you of things that are hard to understand. And, and you know, Paul is a tremendous rabbit trailer. When you read his epistles, especially like Romans, all his epistles aren't written the same way. I'm not even sure they're all written by him, and neither are a lot of other people who study this in greater detail than I do, probably. But the fact is that doesn't make them unholy scriptures. And it doesn't mean that even though he may not have penned a particular epistle, that he was not the one who sent it. Because there's very good likelihood, there's there's talk of Paul having some problems with his eyesight, that he uh, he may have had other people uh, write certain epistles that were going to certain places like Ephesus. And... Uh, uh, they knew the problem. They knew what they wanted Paul to say. They put it down and Paul read it over and said, yeah, I agree with this. And so he said, this is from me. And he didn't actually write it out. And that's perfectly acceptable as long as he really meant what he said. But it doesn't really matter what he meant if you don't understand what he meant, if you think he meant something he didn't mean. And the opinions about Paul, I mean, many people are throwing Paul completely out of Christianity, saying that Paul led Christianity astray, that he preached a false gospel. And others say that Paul preached a gospel that was different than Christ's gospel, that the the apostles didn't do it right, so Jesus went and got Paul to replace the gospel that the apostles were sending, but that doesn't make any sense because there's Peter agreeing with Paul. So, I believe, to tell you the truth, what I believe, which should not hold too much holy water in your minds, because you're going to have to determine what you believe. You're not going to succeed or fail based on what I believe, but on what you believe. 
I believe Paul was in total agreement with Jesus Christ and the apostles. And Jesus Christ was in total agreement with Moses. And Moses and Jesus Christ and John the Baptist and the apostles and Paul were all in agreement with Abraham. And I believe that if you put the Old Testament on and the New Testament together in one place, you will see certain elements sticking up. And those elements are the truth about the Holy Scripture. Now, that, that survey that we were talking about in the first part of the show, it even says additionally, despite a generally high number of Americans who think the Bible is sacred, there are also a fairly high proportion of Americans who at least somewhat agree that the Bible and the Koran and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truth. And certainly in all those books you will find some overlapping ideas that are identical or reasonably identical. An interesting thing in my study of the Koran is I discovered that there's a huge amount of writings that are hidden away from the average Muslim. There is a hierarchy in the Muslim religion that keeps the people from seeing certain things that were written. Whether those things are true or not true is is irrelevant. The point is, somebody is steering the thinking of Muslims. And of course, anybody who studies the Muslim faith today sees that there are sects in the Muslim faith that actually war against each other. I mean, we've all heard of the Shiites and the Sunnis all claiming to be Muslims, but yet at odds with each other. And and you don't have to go any farther than Ireland to find Protestants and Catholics at war with each other, both claiming Christ, but at war with each other. Religion is one of the most common tools of totalitarianism. And the Bible is a tool of religions. Problem is, most people don't even know what real religion is. As it's mentioned in the Bible, we've always talked about the fact that religion mentioned five times in the Bible, and most of the time when they talk about religion, they talk about it in a derogatory sense. It's only when they talk about pure religion that they talk about it in a good sense, and that pure religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. You know, the widows and orphans and needy of your society. Do you visit them? Do you... Why do you visit? They don't want you to just go and visit them and send them a Hallmark card. They want you to actually take care of them. That's why they visit them. That's why deacons went around with their dusty feet and visited people to make sure that they had provisions to get through the day because the church was your social welfare in those days. Not that there wasn't other social welfare systems around, but the other social welfare systems didn't operate like John the Baptist said. They didn't operate by faith, hope, and charity. They operated by force, fear, and violence. They used the rod to beat you into giving so that everybody could have the benefits they wanted. Christianity cannot do that and still call itself Christianity without taking the name of the Lord in vain. If you are a Christian, depending upon men who call themselves benefactors, but those men exercise authority, then you are not following Christ. Because Christ said it was not to be that way with you. 
You are not a Christian if you depend upon men who exercise authority to compel your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You cannot be a Christian and send your children to public education or want to send your children to public education. That you cannot be a Christian and want that. And you say, oh, but I paid in. I pay taxes. And everybody knows. I mean, how much property tax do you pay? Like in this community, average property tax is probably around $2,000 per household. Maybe a little more. I mean, I know there are some that pay less and there are some that pay a little bit more. But that's pretty average for a household in this community. That's way lower than most of the places in the United States. But this is this is the poorest county in the state of Oregon. So we have a little bit lower taxes on, on property. I know there are some that pay a lot more. And only a portion of that goes to public education. So if the average student costs six to seven thousand dollars per student in the local public school, nobody pays enough taxes per year to pay for their child's education. And many people have multiple children. So that would be, you know, if you have three children or four children, that would be four times $7,000. Do the math. Are you paying that much in property tax? And only a portion of your property tax goes to school. Some goes to the cemetery and some goes to other uh, government services. So if you send one child or two children to school, somebody else is paying the bill. Some of your neighbors have to pay in who have no children. They have to pay in anyway. That, in essence, is coveting your neighbor's goods. And we can add the same principle to fire departments that are not voluntary fire departments. We have a voluntary fire department. Or uh, police departments, sheriff departments. You're compelling your neighbors to pay for that by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority in order to obtain the funds to take care of one another. That's a perfectly acceptable idea in modern society. They think that's the way it has to be done. And there were people around at the time of Christ who thought that was the way that had to be done. And there are people around at the time of Moses that thought that was the way that had to be done. But it's not what Moses taught. It's not what John the Baptist taught. It's not what Christ taught. It's not what Paul taught. Now, you owe taxes because you make agreements with governments and you participate in things that would make you susceptible to having to pay the tax. Because you're back in the bondage of Egypt where you had to pay in Egypt, you had to pay 20% of everything you earned to the government. 20% of your labor belonged to the government. Whatever you did, 20% of the time, one-fifth, went to the government. And that was bondage of Egypt. And you were put in that bondage of Egypt because you were jealous of your brothers and you cast them into to bondage yourself. And so, therefore, you went into bondage. And that's exactly why you're in bondage today is because you were willing to put your neighbor into bondage so that you could have free education. And now you want free health care. You know, we looked at, I sent out just the other day, for those of you who are on the network that are listening, you, you got this in your email, 
a copy of showing the the ranking that we receive in number of visits to the website of hisholychurch.org. We have other websites as well, but the hisholychurch.org sites, the ranking there has uh, gone up at, because we've had numerous more visitors over the last year. And you see the the little chart going up, 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 up. That's great. And more people have been joining the network. That's great. And that shows some sort of progress. It's not going to save anybody, but it's showing some sort of progress. But I saw also on the Write the Life magazine uh, newspaper that uh, somebody from the church will be there helping film the Write the Life in Oregon this year, which is around April 19th or something up near Portland. Some of our people will be there. If you would like to meet and visit with them, get on the network and we will tell you where they are and how to meet with them uh, if you go to the Right to Life. But we do it as just a service because there's a lot of good educational material that is found when they put on these Right to Life things. We are not politically interested in anything in this country. We are interested in the moral character of the individual. We think that will save more lives than anything else. And there, and sometimes people are encouraged to be more moral when they have more information. And they are not ignorant. They do not lack knowledge. And so, uh, at that right to life, there's a very knowledgeable people that show up and give talks and you can learn a lot. But anyway, if you want to meet with our people that will be there, get on the Living Network and we will connect you up with them. But, the point is, is that we need, we need to realize that the spiritual essence of mankind affects our physical environment. It affects the kind of governments that we produce, the kind of societies that we produce. And when, when Joseph and his brothers were having their personal jealousies and conflicts, and Joseph's brothers cast him into a pit and then sold him into slavery. They themselves were going to be sold into slavery. Because that was the society that they were designing for their neighbor. The kind of society you design for your neighbor. If you think it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, then it is absolutely okay for your neighbor to force you to contribute to their welfare. And guess what? You got more neighbors than you got yourself. So they're going to want to take and take and take and take. This faction, that faction. Everybody wants to take and take and take and take. And they will bankrupt your government. They've already done that. And they will bankrupt your households. They've already done that. That's why people are losing their homes by the millions. I know people right now, they're still losing their homes. Left and right. And many more are paying mortgages for homes that are worth half of what they're paying into. But they don't know what else to do. I mean, I, I, I can't even tell you how many people I know that are about to lose their homes. And are facing foreclosures. And we haven't even got into the businesses that have gone bankrupt. And people are talking about the economy turning around. They're just stripping you of your wealth day by day. 
This nation is becoming an impoverished nation day by day, slipping this slippery slope back to a third world country. You don't have the steel industry anymore. You don't have the the uh, textile industry anymore. These things are all gone. They're gone out of your society and there's nothing bringing them back. It's just that all the other societies are in such a terrible state. Why are all these economies and governments under this tremendous totalitarian burgeoning debt and and uh, and uh, decadence? Why is this taking place? It's because of you. Individually, you're not living moral lives according to the Holy Scriptures of the Bible, of the Quran, or even the Book of Mormon. And I'm I'm only dealing. I've read these other books, and and some of them I've studied. I mean, Bhagavad Gita. I even read that. But I'm working as a minister of Christ's Holy Church, His Holy Church, and the book we have is the Bible. And so I look at the Bible. We have Old and New Testament of the Bible. And I look at it in the original Greek. I even looked at it in the Septuagint. And I look at it in the in what is reasonably the the original Hebrew, what we have of that. And even looked at it in you know from the you know the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I've wrote, written these books, but I put it into the context of real life at that time and at this time. Today in America, we're basically under Roman law. Roman civil law. Roman law, Roman civil law, and civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. That's a maxim of law. I'm not, I'm quoting that right out of the maxim of law. So, when we look at the context of the Bible, we need to look at it in the context of Roman law because it was written in the context of Roman law, especially like the epistle of Paul to the Romans. I mean, we've got like 13 hours up on well, actually, 15 hours already up on the epistle of, of Paul to the Romans. And I need to make another couple hours of that today for other shows. And and you can read it at preparingyou.com. Preparingyou.com. Look up uh, the page on Bible. And you can you can listen to all those. And we go through it step by step. And I'm sure I, I will upset many people and they will disagree with what they're reading. But the truth is what the truth is. And I'm trying to find it. And hopefully you're trying to find it. And it says like in the survey, it says Americans who at least somewhat agree that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truth. Well, I believe that Spiritual truth may be evident in some of the text of all of those. But we use the Bible. That is, that is where we get, that's why we use the doctrines of Christ. We use the Bible as the source of the doctrines of Christ. You know, I'll even quote from some other apocrypha from time to time, like, uh, uh, the book of Philip. And, uh, and some of these other books that have been floating around. But when I write down 
the doctrines of Christ, I take it out of the Bible. But you can't understand it unless Christ is in your heart. And Christ cannot dwell in a selfish man's heart. He cannot dwell in a greedy man's heart. He cannot dwell in a covetous man's heart. And we're going to take a look at a lot of other things that we're bringing up. When we bring up this Bible and put it into the context of the people and the times and the language in which it was written. That survey went on to say nearly half of Americans agree with this, with that statement that those things are uh, still sacred uh, books dealing with the same spiritual truths. But they have a very shallow look at things. It says 31% of Americans agree somewhat, while 16% agree strongly, which hasn't significantly changed since 2011. But the fact is, is most Americans today, which is why the problem is so severe in America and the economy and in the politics and all these things that affect your lives and your health, is because they're not really hearing the truth, the spiritual truths that are in the Bible, that are mentioned in the Bible, that are referenced in the Bible by those men who were struggling with these same spiritual truths. When Moses came into Egypt and the people were in the bondage of Egypt and they were aborting their children, that's what it says in the New Testament. It actually says they were casting out their fetuses. They have the word for fetus. Not the word for small child, but for fetus. They were aborting their children with pessaries which you'll find that word in the Hippocratic Oath. It's an abortive substance. They were actually even doing that because of the economic strains of a society where you had to pay to the government so that the government would provide you with the benefits necessary to get you through famines and difficult times and depressions and recessions. It gets to the point where the government itself is causing these things. Why? Is it the government's fault? No. It's your fault. If you actually look up the word government, the definition of the word government, in like Collins' dictionary, one of the definitions means to blame the government. (laughs) That's what people have the government, to blame them. It is not the government's fault. The government is a product of who you have become. As a society. And there are societies within societies that need to form. Alternative societies within society that needs to form. To help steer all of society. The lukewarm of society. In a direction of righteousness. And there is a movement coming about. And we see it in the survey. We see it in, in the words of Eric Holder. Which we talked about on a previous show. Where in the words of the government of Germany that says they are outlawing homeschooling to prevent to prevent any alternative society from coming up in the world in their world in their system it says that their ban of homeschooling quote counteracts the development 
of religious and philosophically motivated parallel societies. They want to ban that. They actually want to war against that. But that's what Christ was doing. He was, and that's what Moses was doing. He, pay your tally of bricks. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pay your tally of bricks while you learn to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Now, I had a discussion with a number of uh, conservatives. And, uh, and we had a lot of emails that went back and forth. And um, one of the things that, you know, I talked to him about law and the Bible and some of these principles because it was a political forum. And they referred to they didn't need my fancy stuff. All I'm doing is talk about law. I mean, they were saying that they were worried about the Constitution being violated. And the reality is, is that the Constitution says you have the right to contract away your rights. And that's what's happened, is people have contracted away the access to their rights. The rights still exist, but somebody else has the right to make the choices for you. Because you have asked them to exercise authority for you. See, there's only, authority is like energy. There's only so much to go around. If you give somebody else the authority to decide for you what you're going to pay in in taxes, and all of you get together and make that agreement that you say it's okay to take from me to pay for free education as long as you take from my neighbor as well. Make sure that nobody's left behind. What happens is you have given them your right to choose your liberty. And now you are subject to that. And you have a right to give them that power. To create debt for you. And that's what's happened. And now you're back in bondage. And our next show we'll talk about how to get out of that bondage. And what is the spiritual path that leads you out of that bondage. Until then, may peace be upon your house. And may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about Holy Scriptures, and we're talking about how we go into bondage generation after generation, and how we come back out of bondage generation after generation. And what is that bondage? What is the nature of that bondage? Because if you do not understand the nature of that bondage, no matter where we put you, no matter where you go, no matter what happens, you will go back into bondage. You will take your bondage with you. Most of the bondage that you're in is a bondage of the mind and of the heart and of the soul. And if you are in bondage in your mind and your heart and your soul, no matter where you go, you will go back into bondage. You will go back like a pig to the mire and a dog to the vomit. You will return. You will go that way because you have not changed within. Until men change, the governments that they create for themselves will not change. They will keep creating the same governments. We see Moses taking the people out of Egypt. And before they're out, hardly any time whatsoever, they're on their way back in with the golden calf. The golden calf was a common purse of wealth. It was a central bank. That was the way they stored gold in what was called a reserve fund. And we've talked about that many times before. Most people, And yeah, I know I repeat myself sometimes on these shows, but you need to be reminded of these things because you don't hear this truth from almost anybody else. The golden calf was not a superstitious thing where they bowed down and said, Oh, golden calf. Oh, great golden divine image of a calf. You know, that's not what graven image meant. Your institutions are graven images. They are what you make to supplant creation and the law of creation and the law of nature and nature's God. When my father was an attorney, when he first became an attorney, he spoke in front of the Bar Association on the natural law. The natural law is God's law. It's divine law. The law of nature and nature's God. That's what they mean by jus naturale. What is naturally the law? It's not the, you know, dog-eat-dog law of nature, survival of the fittest, jungle, all that stuff, although that's a part of it. The natural law is what law exists by the nature of creation. It's not legatus. It's jus juris. It's what is just, right, and fair by nature. Legatus is what is just, right, and fair by contract. Those are two Latin words, both translated into law in Black's Law Dictionary. Lex legis, legatus, all the same word. Just, that's the way the, uh, the Romans did it. They changed, depending on the syntax in the sentence, they would change the word. But, it means to bind, and you are bound by contract. And today, Americans have contract with America, all kinds of contracts. Not just the Constitution, but all kinds of contracts with corporate entities where you can actually be a ball player and be sold from Los Angeles to New York and you tell me you're not a slave. You can break your contract, but it's going to cost you. (laughs) You can buy your freedom with what it will cost you. Or you can be sold from L.A. to New York. You're in, 
no matter where you go, you are in bondage. If you look up master-slave laws in Clark's summary of U.S. American law, I mean, if you look up the word employee, uh, employee, I think it is employer employment, just look under employee in the index, it will say see master-slave because all your employee laws are master-slave laws. From where? From Rome. Actually, from Rome. These are all were deals where, I mean, there was, you know, they had a, a, a tax on slavery so that if you dumped your slaves on the, in the public streets when you had no more use for them, that they had a fund to take care of them. We call it unemployment today. <laughs> That's based on those laws. Based on those same laws and attempts of of dealing with master-slave. You see, you have a federal employee identification number. You call it your social security number, but that's your federal employee identification. That's an official title. So when you leave Burger King and go work for McDonald's, you're still a federal employee. The only one who can hire you now is somebody with a federal employer identification number. And if you were reading in the Bible, you would see that written down as your taskmaster. That's who you work for, your taskmaster of the federal government, because you're an employee of the federal government. You are all employees of the federal government. Income tax is only for employers of employees of the federal government. And I've actually seen people go to jail, lawyers go to jail. Because they, they read in the codes and they say, oh, well, this is all, this tax is only for federal employees and I'm not a federal employee. I work for Burger King or whatever he works for. I'm self-employed. You got a social security number. You're a federal employee. No matter who you work for, you're working for a federal employee. When you work two hours in the morning for that federal employer, that guy with a federal employer identification number, everything you do, All the value of what you do will be bundled up in a check and sent to the federal government. Not to pay for goods and services, but to pay the interest on debt. Why did they do it that way? Because now you're bound by debt. If you really understood the Bible and the message of the Bible, you wouldn't have fallen for this. You don't really understand because your ministers don't really understand and they don't understand because they have been lied to and they have received the lie and accepted the lie because they were not really in love with the truth. They were in love with being a minister. Grossly deceived. They don't understand that they're back in the bondage of Egypt, yet in the bondage of Egypt, 20% 20% of everything you did had to go to the government. Isn't that what it is like in Australia and Canada and England and New England and Texas and everywhere else? You're back. You're all back in the bondage of Egypt. You're the dogs that are returned to the vomit and the pigs to the mire. Get it. Accept it. Write it down. Pay your tally of bricks. Find out why you were seduced into such an abomination. Such a Babylonian abomination. Don't say, I'm going to get out of the system. Find out how much of the system is in you. You'll just be a Dathan outside. A Korah outside. You, you've discovered, you're not in love with the fact that you're in bondage. 
Okay, I understand that. That's a disappointment. Get over it. How did you get there? It wasn't because of what they did. It's because of what you did. It's because of what you did, what was in you. The only way out is forgiveness and giving. That's right. You have to forgive all that they owe you. You have to not want their benefits anymore. And you have to set the table of the Lord so that you don't need their benefits. And you have to do it as much for your neighbor as you do it for yourself. In other words, you have to come together and start caring for one another. Through faith, hope, and charity. That's what John the Baptist was saying. Isn't that what he was saying? Get baptized and they want to know, how does this work? I said, well, easy. You, Your neighbor has a need. And you have surplus, help your neighbor out. He has two, you have two coats, he has none, share your coat. You have extra food, he is without food, you have some work for him to do and he has no job. Whatever it is, start taking care of one another. You can't do that without coming together. You can't be a Christian unless you want to come together. And if you're just thinking about your congregation that's coming together, your little groupy club, then you're not thinking kingdom. So this, this is really simple. This is what Moses was teaching the people, how to come together and take care of one another when there was, you know, fire and brimstone and plagues and, and all kinds of difficulties. And you're, you've got those difficulties coming on you right now. Millions of people have lost their homes. People are getting sick left and right from the poisons your society is producing. And they're madly, madly producing more and more poisons. Aspartame, GMO. I mean, go through this list of all these things, these toxins that are being shoved into your environment. You know, foods don't have to be real foods. I mean, you're, uh, the studies are unbelievable. I mean, they're scary. And I can sit here and preach a gospel of fear, but where's the gospel of love? Are you are you learning to produce things differently? Are you learning to take care of one another differently? Somebody mentioned on, and I haven't had a chance to go through all my email. I've been up since before five o'clock, but. Uh, and some of you are listening to this at different time zones anyway. I've been up for hours and hours. But uh, I saw somebody talking about New Age. Because they saw some New Agey stuff in the network. Christians were considered New Age. I mean, they're seeing angels. Right? Apostles are seeing angels. Uh, they're healing with their touch. They're laying hands on one another and healing. That's kind of new agey, isn't it? Uh, they talk about, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they were accused of being a death cult. They, the Christians were accused of being atheists. Why would they be accused of being atheists? That's another whole story. We won't get off on that tangent. But they were very spiritually, I mean, they had daughters who were prophesying. Daughters of men were coming up and they were prophesying things. And people were listening and saying, oh, 
Now, were they following those prophets or were they following the Holy Spirit inside themselves? And the, the prophetesses were just simply bearing witness to what people were beginning to realize. See, that's a big difference. Are you following your prophets or are you following the Holy Spirit? When I talk about history and the law, you know, and, and somebody says, oh, you got all this fancy stuff, you know, the Constitution is simple. The Constitution is pretty simple, but simple-minded people can't understand it. They they think that their rights come... If you think your rights come from the Constitution, you don't understand the Constitution. If, you know, like Eric Holder, who we talked about in a previous program, is saying that parents don't have a fundamental right to teach their children at home. Certainly they do. He's a liar. He's not telling the truth. Now, you as parents may not have a fundamental right to teach your children at home anymore. And even the the United Nations says that you have a... Parents have a prior right to determine the kind of education that their children have. But you can lose access to that prior right if you give somebody else the responsibility of raising your children. WIC, food stamps. If the government has to put the bill even though they do so by exercising authority over your neighbor and forcing them to contribute. They're not your kids anymore. You only get the right when you exercise the responsibility. Well, how can I get by without uh, help from the government? It's because you're no longer the government of the people for the people and by the people. You're the government of the bureaucracy, for the bureaucracy and by the bureaucracy. And the bureaucracy is men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other in contrary to what Christ said. And you went that way because you were a selfish pig. And that's why you're in the mire that you're in today. Repent. Admit it. Change. And that change is not going to take place overnight. You're going to have to stop being selfish. You're going to have to start being unselfish. You're going to have to start being forgiven. Let them have their money. Pay your tally of bricks. Start gleaning in the field at night for your straw. Start setting that table of the Lord with your extra time and energy with sacrifice and service one to each other. The person went on uh, to say in argument against my fancy history and law, which is not all that fancy. It's just what it is. It says, It ain't faith, hope, and charity when the money is plundered from your pockets by, what did they say? Did they say the word government here? Yeah, by government. Money's not plundered from your pockets. It's not plunder. It's tribute. You've been slothful, and the slothful should be under tribute. The Bible tells you that. Old Testament. All you Jews out there. All you Muslims out there. All you so-called Christians out there. The Bible says, the slothful shall be under tribute. You've been slothful. You should be under tribute. And you should pay those taxes. Because you've been the wicked, and now you're being punished by the governments that were designed to punish the wicked because you were wicked. Now, what? What? how were you wicked? You weren't taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You weren't gathering together in a network of love for one another. You're not doing it now when you go to your churches for whatever reason you go. 
because the music's good or because it makes you feel good or because you think you want to think that God loves you. God hates the Nicolaitan. He hates the Arabellum. What is the Nicolaitan? The conquered people. How are they conquered? Well, they they're conquered by Pharaoh. He, they weren't conquered because Pharaoh came in with chariots and and stuck a sword to their neck. He came in with benefits and said, "Hey, I'll take from your neighbor, force them all to contribute so you can have free education." You said, "Okay, I'll force your neighbors to contribute, and you can all have health care." Okay, I'll force your neighbors to contribute, and you can all have a really good fire department. Okay. You're denying the power of God's way. You have a form of godliness, but you're denying the power of God's way. What's the power of God's way? He could have provided all those things through faith, hope, and charity. Through the hearts of those that love Him. All those things could have been provided. But you did not believe in the power of God. You believed in the power of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You have taken the name of God in vain in your churches. And I don't want to pick on individuals, but Billy Graham is just as guilty as his son. And, and I don't know, you name the others. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the 700 Club? Just as guilty. I might as well. I'm going to be hated by them all anyway. Um, name me some of the Pope. Hey, there you go. Just as guilty. They're all just as guilty because they have perpetrated the lie that you need these governments taking from your neighbor or you cannot have the benefits of a free society. Well, you maybe can't have the benefits of a free society because you will not contribute. What's happened now is that your societies have become a breeding ground of selfish, slothful, vengeful, angry, self-absorbed people that when you try to stop those benefits, they will rise up and try to kill you. There will be riots in the streets. You you cannot, if you were to free everybody in the world today, we're not going to force anybody anymore to contribute to the welfare of our society. Everybody has to go back to faith, hope, and charity today or next week. We'll give you a week to get ready. And after that, no more welfare checks. No more unemployment checks. Well, unemployment's a little bit different, but... Really, you want to get away from employment entirely. That's what brought you into bondage. That we're going to start working everything out with fear and trembling. We're going to live by faith. We're going to do this across the board. We're going to do this. You would have absolute total chaos and mayhem. You need those governments. Those are the governments of the wicked, for the wicked, by the wicked. The selfish. The self-absorbed. The self-righteous. Those, they need those governments. But if you have a repentant heart and actually want to do what Christ said, what Moses said, what Abraham was said and did, you need to become that alternative society, that alternative parallel society that provides education amongst themselves through faith, hope, and charity. That means mostly homeschooling, but you can actually start private schools within your congregational limits. 
homeschooling is the best, but you can have what what I would really envision is everybody's homeschooled, but those homeschoolers gather together maybe once a week or once a month for a day or two, and they do things together. They they challenge one another, maybe. You know, have have little quizzes with each other. Somebody is actually calling me during the radio program. <laughs> and uh, I know who it is. I saw who it was. <laughs> he must have forgot I'm on the radio. But anyway, uh, uh, and now he's calling on the other number. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, it isn't faith. It isn't hope. It isn't charity. The way you're living now. It isn't what Christ wanted. It isn't what God designed. It's what you've designed. It is the image that you, you serve. An image based on a spirit of force and violence. That is what you have designed for yourselves. You can't get away from that by signing papers or by expatriating or any of those things. You can only get away from that when you purge your own heart of the selfishness that has brought you to the totalitarian totalitarian's door where you are kept, where you are held under under the plunder of tribute. The only salvation for this society, the only salvation for this society is the way of Christ. The, which is the way of Moses, which is the way of Abraham. So whether you think you're a Muslim or think you're a Christian or think you're a Jew or think you're a New Ager, if you don't start loving your neighbor as yourself, which means stop coveting your neighbor's goods, start caring for your neighbor through faith, hope, and charity, start coming together, seeking the righteousness of God. Now, if you come together in our congregations... The core is Christ. It is His doctrines that are the doctrines of His church. No no other words, but His doctrines. Now, we'll translate them into English and Spanish and what have you the best we can, but you can go back to the early Greek as well, or Hebrew, but in the Peshtida or whatever, but basically it's His words only, or His doctrines only. That's it. That's his church. Anybody who has any other written document other than Christ's writing, written documents, according to the earliest scriptures that we can find, is not his church. It's somebody else's opinion. It's their private interpretation. And they're creating some sort of social group or religious group or whatever, whether it's Episcopalian or Lutheran or Methodist or Catholic or whatever. And and if they're not taking care of their needy through faith, hope, and charity, that's another sign that it's not Christ. They are not following the sacred scriptures. If they are have any appearance of coveting their neighbor's goods, desiring their neighbor's goods, sweat, toil, whatever, for the purpose of their welfare, by asking men who exercise authority to provide those benefits, then that's not Christian. That's not following Christ. It's not His church. 
And it is antichrist. It is going the opposite way that Christ said. Now that puts a lot of churches and a lot of religionists and a lot of Bible thumpers and seekers over here in the realm of the prophets of the beast. Because that is the nature of the beast. To take from your neighbor. To devour your neighbor through legal taxes. So that you can have benefits. And what should have been for your welfare then becomes a snare. And then you find yourself in a bondage, a surety for debt. You are not a keeper of the Sabbath. I don't care what day you pick your Sabbath. Sabbath is about debt. It's about working six days and earning your rest. You didn't earn your rest. You went into debt. You had your benefit before it was paid for. And now you have to pay for your benefit with tribute. Pay for the interest on the debt with tribute. That's the way it was designed. And you didn't see that coming because it wasn't written in your heart. Now, that's great to know. That's good news. To know the truth. Because now you can repent and turn around and go the other way. So what does that repentance look like? You know, there's only two powers or let's say manifestations of power that you need to reverse this entire process and find liberty and freedom. Two. That's all you need. Is two. You only need two laws. And you got all the laws. So what are those two manifestations of power that will set you free From all the bondage of the world. All the bondage. Because we're talking about governmental bondage. There's all kinds of relationship bondage. If you get angry, you're in bondage. If you're afraid, you're in bondage. And many of you have heard me say this over and over again. Fear and anger, same thing. Same exact thing. You know, heads I win, tails you lose. Fear, I win. Tails, you lose. Fear, I win. Anger, you lose. (laughs) Whatever. Anger, you lose. Fear, I win. You know, the old Billy Bud story. Claggett. If he gets you angry, you lost already. They love to get you angry. They got you. They're bringing you into bondage with your anger. Anger draws you into the dark side of the force, Luke. Don't you know that? These are truths. You can find truth everywhere. In the Quran and Star Wars. <laughs> in any of these things. It's around you all the time. We keep stumbling over it and going on with the lie. we got to turn around to go with the truth. And turning around means doing something and now for something completely different. To go another way. And that's what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show is what that way looks like for you on the ground in a practical sense every day. In your relationships with husbands and wives and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and brothers and sisters and and Texans and <laughs> Californians and, and Congregationalists and Kingdomites, you know, Kingdomites, that's a new word. I, I don't know if I've ever used that word before. It's kind of like Marmite. You know, it's, uh, 
But are you seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Are you seeking to be ruled by God? That's what the kingdom of God is. It's the right to be ruled by God. You don't have the right to be ruled by God because you have contracts, covenants, and constitutions, and obligations, and everything else that you have created. The keys to the kingdom of heaven is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That is the key to the kingdom of God. You have been binding yourself by your benefits that you've been taking at the expense of your neighbor and debt. Now you want to loosen that. You have to have another spirit in you. You have to have another way that you're following. That is the key to the kingdom. What does that way look like? So that you may know you're on the path to liberty under God. We'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about sacred scriptures, which includes the Bible, Old and New Testament. Christ is always quoting from the Old Testament. Paul is always quoting from the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament was saying the same thing that Christ and John and Jesus was saying. Moses and Jesus were in agreement. There is no difference between what one was saying and what the other one was saying. There is a great difference between what we think Moses was saying and Abraham was saying. And what Jesus was saying. And therefore we say, Jesus is doing something different. The blood of Jesus and the flesh of Jesus that we are to consume is the character of Jesus. The Holy Scripture needs to be written on our hearts and on our minds. And there's a lot of people that memorize and memorize and memorize the Holy Scriptures, but it's never written on their hearts. It's not even really written on their mind. Just the words. The words are the letter. The letter killeth. The Spirit giveth life. The Scriptures tell you that. But what does that mean? How do you know if you're having life? How do you know if you are being born again or just having an emotional experience to imagine and worship the idea that you have changed while you still remain the same? That would be a great strategy of Satan. To make you think, surely now you will not die. I mean, that's what he said in the garden. Surely you will not die. And now that you've had your emotional altar called, you say, I have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and surely now I will not die. But you will die. Because you are dead already. Because you haven't really changed. You haven't really repented. You haven't really turned around. You have created a Christ like building a graven image and you believe in that creation of your own mind and thinking or often with the help and assistance of some other religious group. But have you changed? Are you going another way? Are you still praying to benefactors who exercise authority to obtain benefits for yourself and your family? Praying, applying, same thing. Beseeching, asking. Men who call themselves benefactors but actually only give you what they've taken away from others. That is a surefire sign 
you have not yet repented. Surefire. Guaranteed. You have not yet repented. Maybe because you have not yet been told. But now you're being told. So now you have to repent. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you turn around? How do you go another way? You know, I wrote this one individual who thought my words were so fancy. Once you cross the line of coveting your neighbor's goods so that you could get free education or any benefit or any welfare, there was no going back. You were, you were caught in a current of deceit and self-deceit and destruction. And your government could only go one way. Your life could only go one way. Until, until you admit your error and folly. And be willing to turn around and go the other way. Like the prodigal son, he had to admit he did wrong. And that he was done foolishly. And that he needed to go back. Unless he admitted that, he wasn't going anywhere. He was going to stay there. He needed to admit that this is wrong. This is, this is the crooks of the problem in the world today, is that we have become canes. We are willing to bludgeon our brothers to get our way, to, to obtain security. And as a matter of fact, those that point this out, you want to bludgeon even more, like me. <laughs> Well, you know, if you do, there's nothing I can do about it. I have to tell you the truth. He says, now, when every social welfare program and your leaders that rule your pockets take more and more and more and give you less and less and less, and you cry out and you whine to no avail because God has already said, I'm not going to hear you in that day. I'm not going to hear you over and over again. I give you quote after quote after quote in the Bible. I will not hear you in that day. Because you have chosen your Saul's and Caesar's and Nimrod's to rule over your neighbors so that you can be safe and secure. Socially secure. I will not hear you. And you already see it. You see it unfolding right before you. More and more benefits they're saying you're going to get. You know the... The same chart that showed a rise of people listening and looking at org that I sent out to the network marks the same chart that I saw on the front page of Right to Life concerning euthanasia. <laughs> the euthanasia rising in, a, in uh, I think it was in Oregon, just in Oregon. That's on the rise. And as far as people not believing in the Bible, more and more people believe in politics. They believe in government. They believe that government is their salvation. Even those that think the government is going the wrong way and they believe that the Constitution is their salvation. They believe that the Constitution is their holy scripture. And they don't want to hear anything from the Bible because that's, we're talking politics. We're not talking religion. Like the Bible doesn't talk politics. I mean, are you kidding me? You don't think that what Israel was doing in relationship to the Pharaoh and leaving Pharaoh had anything to do with politics? 
You don't think that had anything to do with politics? That had everything to do with politics. Who, who, Moses was the rightful Pharaoh, but he wasn't going to force the contributions of the people. You know, I, I write on to this person, by the way, there is no place where you are compelled to pay tithes in the Bible. Tithes were the free will taxes of a government, of the people, for the people, and by the people. The Levites could not kick in your door and collect your tithe. They did not come to the door with a rod and say, you give me your tithes or I'll beat you. They were shepherds. You cannot beat a sheep into submission. You put out your staff and through trust it follows your lead. You tithe to them according to their service. The power is in your hand. You're kings and priests. That's the way it was designed from the beginning. You're not kings and priests now. You're slaves and servants. And you cannot change that with another willful act. You can only change that with a submission to the ways of Christ. And start caring for one another in a parallel society of faith, hope, and charity. Are you willing to do that? Can you do that? The teachings of Moses, Abraham, and Jesus, they're not rocket science. It's not hard to figure out. I told you there are two two powers that need to be manifested in your life. There are two laws. Only need two laws. In the United States, you have hundred thousands of laws. In the kingdom of God, you got two. Love God, which is righteousness, a giver of life. A forgiver of sins. This is the nature of God. You know, the vengeful God they imagine was this vengeful God. They don't understand what is being said there in the Old Testament. Same God then, same God now. The fact that he won't hear you is because you haven't heard him. He wants to hear you. Even once you come back to the garden, he's left that cherub there with a light to show you the way. But you won't look at the way because in order to see that in that light, you must see yourselves as you really are, which is wicked and despicable people. Selfish. Arrogant. Proudful people. You have to see that. You're sinners. We say it. You have to see it. Even now that you've been born again and accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you're still out there coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. If I may say that one more time. I mean, I could say it shorter. You covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of the governments that you bow down and worship. And you do worship them. You seek them for your security and salvation in this world. The problem is they're not going to be there for you in the next world. You need to seek God's kingdom in this world for him to be there for you in the next. And you have to seek his ways and walk in his ways. So what are those two main ways in which you would manifest that power of God? Well, I'll I'll hold you in suspense a little bit longer. Christ was political. Everything he said was affecting People's political relationships at the time. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. It's a political statement. Because at that time, Herod was saying, no, eat the flesh of your neighbor through a system of social welfare called Corbin. I will force them to contribute and there will be plenty of money in the treasury to take care of the needy of your society. 
because of my system of Corbett. The way you sign up is you get the baptism of Herod and his ministers. And they register you, idiotis. Once idiotis, now registered. In the scribes, by the scribes, for the scribes, the bureaucrats of his kingdom. The accountants of his kingdom. And you had to pay in. And they took care of the needy of their society. And that was the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect. So if you want to repent of that, you have to create the Corbin of Christ. Through a network of love. That provides all those benefits to faith, hope, and charity in a way that strengthens the poor. That's simple. But what's happened is now you believe in the religion of government. Of the world. Governments of the world. And we've talked about world before. You can look that up. But you have your creed. Did you know the United States government has a creed? Of course, it's a religion. Social Security is a religious program. It's how they take care of their needy of society, very much by the world. Pure religion is doing the same thing without the world. The constitutional order or system of governments of men that exercise authority one over the other. I believe in the United States of America as a government whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed. Your consent is by application. A democracy in a republic, etc., etc. That is the beginning of their creed in the United States. That is your religion. That is your faith. Your religious ministers are the ministers of the Social Security Administration and Welfare Administrations, etc., etc. These are, and the gods are the are the judges who rule over that system. That's all exactly what. Christ was dealing with in the context of Christ, except for he was anointed as king. He was proclaimed king by the people. He was proclaimed king even by Rome itself. And those that got his baptism instead of the baptism of of Herod were cast out of one welfare system and went into the other. You have no other to go into. Because you are not setting the table of the Lord. The ministry of John the Baptist, the ministry of Christ, was setting the table of the Lord. Was organizing the people into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The twelve apostles, the hundred and twenty in the upper room, that could be the social welfare of a society. Living by faith, by hope, by charity. You haven't been doing that. You need to repent and start doing that. And when you do... You're going to come face to face with those two powers I spoke of before. What are those two powers? Two manifestations of power that give us our strength to overcome the wickedness of the world. What are they? They're the antithesis of what you think of as power because your world is upside down and has been upside down for generation upon generation. You are not a part of the libera res publica, the free from things public of the kingdom of God. You are not a part of his republic, divine republic, where God rules in your heart. Not some priestly class rules in your heart and tells you what you must do and what you must contribute. But a true 
loving republic. The term republic, res publica, signifies the state independently of its form of government. Levites were the government, but they had no power to compel the people to follow their ways. They were tied to according to their service. All the taxes were voluntary by free will offerings. Could such a society actually exist today? Only amongst those people who manifest the two powers of God. Now I keep holding you in suspense. What are those two powers? What are those two powers of God that will set you free? Set you free in your relationships with husband and wife and father and son and all those relationships and your relationship with your neighbor and your relationships with your community and the relationships with your society and the relationships with your governments. What are those two powers? Today, your leaders are not titular. You don't live in a republic. You live in a democracy within a republic, and it's an indirect democracy, and it's an indirect democracy in debt. You have gone back into the bondage. You do not need more theologies and philosophies, more religions, more doctrines. Christ's doctrines are enough. And he told you what those two powers are. And they are the mysteries of liberty. They are the secrets of life and death. They will set you free. And they are the powers of forgiveness and giving. So simple. Forgive so that you may be forgiven. When you are forgiven, then God will hear your prayers. Until you are forgiven, God will not hear your prayers. And you will not be forgiven unless you forgive. I mean, how many times did he say, forgive that you may be forgiven? Forgive us this day our, uh, give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us. You have to forgive to be forgiven. And you have to be forgiven to be given to. And you will not be given to unless you give to others. And when you are forgiven and Christ is in you, you will want to give to others. Unhesitantly. Can you imagine if you got together with thousands and thousands of people that want to forgive and give as the primary motivation of their lives? You could be free with those people. Without those people, you will not be free. You will not be free. You will not be free. So you have to turn around. You have to do something completely different. So what does that look like for giving and giving? Still pay your tally of bricks. Still pay into Social Security and work at the jobs that you're working at. But start gleaning in the field at night for your straw. Start coming together and creating a network of people who care about each other as much as you care about yourself. Not people who come together so that they can be free, but so that they can free others. And they want to free their enemies as well as themselves. They are not selfish. They are purging their hearts of selfishness. Judge Leonard Hand wrote, Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women when it dies there. No constitution, no law, no court can save it. Liberty is something you must want for others as much as you want for yourselves. You need to look at all things anew. 
You need to come together. And that's what the Living Network is about. It's an opportunity to come together. It's not an opportunity to be on an email group and get email posts and, and ponder about things. If you are not striving daily to be a part of a community of congregations that are seeking to serve one another, help one another, sacrifice for one another. And where does that begin? It begins in the home. You need to forgive one another. You need to be walking vessels full to the top of forgiveness. Alicia, uh, one of my daughters, sent something on the Facebook. Shows a picture of a glass. It's filled up halfway with water. And then it shows a little bracket. And it shows the rest of the way. It's filled the rest of the way with air. She says all glasses are full. <laughs> it's not half empty. It's not half full. It's all full. They're all full. They're full of water and air and whatever else you put into it. What are you full of? Are you full of forgiveness? Are you full of giving? Where there is not enough giving, there needs to be an abundance of forgiveness. When there's not enough forgiveness, there needs to be an abundance of giving. You need to start giving. Unconditional giving. So that you can learn forgiveness. You need to learn forgiveness so that you can learn to give. People who often have failed to forgive will give too much. They will give to weaken others. They will enable weakness in others by their giving. Because they have not forgiven enough. Someone in their past, someone in their present even, usually it's in their past, they have not forgiven. And so they will bring about, they will enable the same weakness they would not forgive in others in their own sons and daughters. Because they have not forgiven their fathers and their mothers. They will recreate the same thing they think they are escaping. If you do not forgive Pharaoh, that's right, forgive Pharaoh, you will create Egypt in the desert. You will manifest the character of those that you will not forgive. Because they remain in you. And you will create and recreate that which remains in you. If you wish to purge your heart of evil, you must forgive it. Let God be the judge. You see, this is the secret of liberty. is forgiveness and giving. And the only reason you congregate together is so that you can practice forgiving and giving and see when you fail to forgive and give. So that you may repent of that as well and forgive and give some more. But it's your choice. Your choice is, will I see and seek? Will I seek and see? Or will I close my eyes and hide from the truth of my own failings? You must see your failings to change and be changed. You cannot change yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot 
invent a government that will save you. You do not know how to invent a government to save you until you repent of your sin, which is a sin of selfishness, a sin that makes you desire to rule over your neighbor, rule over your wife, to rule over your husband, to make him do it the way you want him to do it, to make her do it the way you want her to do it. You cannot do that. You must set everyone free. If you wish to be free yourself, you must forgive debt. You must forgive abuse. You must forgive the lies. You must be filled up with forgiveness and giving. And let those two blend together in righteousness for others equally as for yourself. You must love your neighbor as yourself. This is what this means. It means that, okay, you don't have kids that need homeschooling. You need to work together with a congregation so that everybody in that congregation can homeschool. Congregational schooling. It takes a village. (laughs) No, it takes a congregation. And a congregation of congregations, which is a village. But it takes one with the Holy Scriptures written in their hearts. Not just... Their memorization, not the flesh and blood memorization, but the spirit of holiness written in their hearts and in their minds by the hand of God. Not by me, not by the Pope, not by Billy Graham, not by, I don't know all the other, farewell, but by God himself. And that's what we seek. And until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.